The following podcast is sponsored content from Prudential. Welcome to 4040 Vision, a four-part podcast hosted by me, Faith Saley, that explores the contemporary experience of being in your 40s. On this episode, we brought in four lovely folks. Uh, honestly, you guys are also good looking. It's like a waste. It's a podcast. Trust me on this. Um, who are going to speak with us today about the scary, the intimidating, the generally tough to talk about topic, which is aging. What the perception of 40-somethings is, what our aging relatives might be going through, and primarily the transfer of wisdom from one generation to the next and how we can ensure that these stories are heard. So let's get right to it and introduce our guests. We have Dr. Gayatri Devi. She's the director of the New York Memory and Healthy Aging Services and clinical associate professor of neurology and psychiatry at NYU School of Medicine. And she's also the author of A Calm Brain, How to Relax into a Stress-Free, High-Powered Life. Boy, do I need that book. <laughs> Hi, Dr. Devi. Hi. We also have Melissa Mitchell, who is the executive director of the Global Coalition on Aging. And your organization's goal is to reshape how global leaders approach and prepare for the 21st century's profound shift in population aging. Easy for me to say. Is that right, Melissa? That is correct. We also have with us today Karen Walrand, who's the author of the best-selling book, The Beauty of Different, and a TEDx speaker. Her work is dedicated to countering negativity and celebrating kindness. She's based in Houston, Texas, and is also an expert on being in her 40s because she is. Thank you for joining us, Karen. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. Dr. Devery, are you in your 40s? I am. Okay, so we've got Charles who is wrapping up his 40s, right? Yes, that's correct. Uh, Charles Reeves is a sign language interpreter, a proponent for graceful aging, uh, and, and you are indeed very handsome. Thank um, you. We're so happy to have you here, Charles. Thanks. Thank you, everyone. So the first thing I want to discuss, and this is just so important because this is basically what keeps us alive as human beings, is wisdom. Um, what is your definition of wisdom? Can I start with you, Dr. Devi? Wisdom is an interesting thing. I feel because it depends not just on what the matter is or the information is that's conveyed to you, but who is conveying it to you. And I think that that's changing now because um, wisdom now, um, which is a more collective wisdom as wisdom that's acquired from the Internet, seems to be more prized by people um, than wisdom that is inferred from any one particular person. I agree. I actually think it almost feels like cheating sometimes when you find out something because you just Googled it. And and this notion of unearthing wisdom from, from one sole person or one person's story, to me, feels feels more fulfilling. Yeah, I think wisdom does sort of come from that association with experience and knowing that someone who is passing along information to you is something that they've actually had to go through in their life. And I think when we're thinking from an aging perspective and we're thinking about the generations in front of us and what they have to share and bestow upon us, um, I sort of think that wisdom has a feel to it. And it is that um, it's that someone has been somewhere before, they've experienced something before, and they want you to feel the same way that they have um, in that moment. And I think that's a, an association that I have with wisdom. That's Melissa speaking from the Global Coalition on Aging. 
Charles, I know you want to talk about wisdom. I think it's important that we distinguish between wisdom and knowledge. I think wisdom is experiential. I used to say that my nephew, when he was five, was one of the wisest people I knew because he had this great ability to learn from his mistakes and then to postulate something from that experience. And to me, that's wisdom. And I think we get confused with the Internet, with Googling things, and we read it and we know it. Um, but is that really wisdom? Karen Walrand. Wisdom definitely has an experiential component to it. It also has sort of a, a perception and an interpretation um, component to it as well. It's also the lens with that you use to, in order to, to interpret that on how that can be applied to your life and how it can be applied to generations that follow you. I also think the older I get, the more I value curiosity. I think it's so connected with wisdom. The, the, the least curious people I know are also the least interesting and probably have the least amount of wisdom to offer. Dr. Devi, you're actually studying memory, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm very curious about what makes, um, what constitutes happy aging. Um, and, and, you know, now 75, I think, is the new middle age. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, we have a ways to go. You're I mean, so, Charles is about to turn 50. You're so young. I'm still, I'm not even middle-aged. Thank you. But yeah. why, why do you think that? Because I think we just have such different expectations for what we should be doing in our 70s. We, um, and, and our life expectancy has gone up by 40, you know, 40 years from a century ago. Um, and here we are suddenly in our in our 40s, and we still think of ourselves as very young. And I have an 85-year-old lawyer who's just changing jobs. because. And he said oh to me, he said, gosh. if you tell me that's too old, I'm going to stop coming to see you. <laughs> so there's just a new perspective on when it's okay to do things. And age is no longer seen as a limit, limiting factor. We expect to be in our 90s and be functionally independent and to be financially independent and to have a healthy sexual life um, and, and all these things which sound outrageous but are becoming more and more the norm. And people also want to keep working into their 80s and 90s. Everyone needs a sense of purpose. And I think that's where wisdom comes in as well. You know, how do you incorporate all that and, and use that wisdom um, to be able to live a fantastic life at 95. What about you guys, y'all? Y'all <laughs> here. Yeah. A lot of us from the South here. Um, do you feel wiser than you were 10 or 20 years ago? God, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And uh, we're talking about age and, and living longer and middle age being at 70, which I'm looking forward to. Um, I have a unique experience of growing up with very young parents. So my dad is only 17 years older than me. But his perception of age is very different than mine. You know, and so your father, you're about to turn 50, and your dad is 67. 67. Yeah, he's okay. actually still, he's not even middle aged yet. So. But you're saying he feels old. He feels older, he acts older, and I think it's a generational perception of what he grew up with. And I've always thought of him as old, uh, but chronologically, he's not. You know, so it's very interesting. I see myself um, just about to be 50, and I think of him at 50, and he was much, much older than I am. So interesting. Really, and we're also postponing all those biological functions define age. You know, so childbearing for women is often being deferred into your late thirties, early forties, and maybe even into your fifties. So, and that used to be a hallmark of aging, 
And now you see many 50-plus-year-old parents with young school-age children, which used to be unusual even just a generation ago. Dr. Devi, I, I, I noticed that you um, you study aging and menopause. And it's, I mean, I have babies and I'm in my mid-40s and I'm always forgetting things. And I'm wondering <laughs> if it's because I'm exhausted or because I'm like perimenopausal. I'm not sure if it's both. So that's a very common concern um, because, first of all, about 100 years ago, women usually died in their late 40s or early 50s. Most of us are very lucky to be here in this podcast today because we'd have been dead likely a century ago. Um, But um, so women went through menopause around the time or shortly before the time that they were going to die. Um, But now, because medicine has far outpaced evolution, we're living to so much longer after menopause has started. So, and I think during the menopausal transition, women go through a lot of memory problems. They have trouble with names. They have trouble with remembering words. They have trouble with multitasking. And women often get to where they are simply because they're very good at articulating. I'm not saying simply, but they also have other skills as well. But that's one of their chief skills. And when that starts to go, and usually in your 40s, you probably are overstretched, doing a million things at the same time, and you have young children, perhaps. Sleep-deprived. Sleep-deprived. Yeah. Um, it's not helpful in terms of keeping your memory, um, all your memory uh, balls juggling in the air at the same time, yeah. Well, this is depressing. <laughs> <laughs> depressing, but treatable. That's the important thing. For me, you know, my grandparents, all of my grandparents, my I, I, my last remaining grandmother died a few months ago at 96 years old. All of my grandparents lived to their late 90s, 1 to 102. And for me, it's been really interesting because I have a lot of friends who are near my age. I'm 48, near my age, who sort of feel like this, you know, what you were saying that, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm perimenopausal. I'm forgetting things. I'm getting old and stuff like that. But my perception of my age is... I still have my entire life again to live if I, you know, assuming that I'm swimming in this gene pool that, of long living. Um, and so it feels to me like, I, you know, I'm just getting started. That, I mean, that literally is how, how it feels for me. Yeah, and I just wanted to um, just sort of comment on that as well, because I think it is. You look at the great possibility. But when you think about being in your 40s, you're also in this place where you're stuck in the sandwich generation and you're caring for your young children and you're caring for your parents who are getting a little bit older. And so you do have these extra stresses on you that others may not have um, in other decades. Karen, with with grandparents that lived so long, um, was storytelling a big part of your relationship with them and, and the way that you, you know, garnered wisdom? My grandmother was a big storyteller, so uh, she was wonderful about that. But um, I'm originally from the Caribbean, so this, you know, this all comes from, from, a, from a West Indian uh, perspective. But she definitely told me stories of her youth, of my mother's youth, um, and there are stories that I remember today. The rest of my family actually did not tell that many stories, but they were avid photographers. And recently I had um, a need to go through some old photo albums, and it was so amazing to me to see all of these photographs of my mother at my age um, and my gra- even more than seeing me as a little girl. It was really exciting to kind of see my parents and grandparents at my age. And one of the things that as a photographer, I am a photographer and I, I make a living as a photographer, but I rarely print anything anymore. And that's one of the things that I think is really interesting how um, just the medium of of storytelling has changed over time and 
whether or not we're losing it or gaining it. I think that's a really, um, you know, with all the technological advances, I don't know that my daughter could really put her hands on some pictures of of herself as oh, a baby so really interesting easily. because I think we're all assuming I mean I'm I'm on my iPhone I'm chronicling every moment of my children's lives and thinking oh they're going to be so lucky someday when they have like 42 hours to sit down and watch every video but you're right there's no I mean it's just it's just all in the cloud somewhere right and yeah and we tend to do that which is we tend to outsource our memories right well and I think also what's interesting is is how quickly the technology changes like even though we may be saving all of these things on our hard drive or whatever else, who knows what the technology is going to be like 20 years from now and whether or not those things will be accessible. So I've tried to be mindful and actually sort of print things every once in a while. What, what do you all think about the te- how technology has affected the intergenerational you know, transfer of wisdom? I mean, I, I think Karen brings up a good point, which is that we tend to document. We're prone to documenting these things on the, on the Internet, using your iPhone, uh, a constant pictorial narrative, if you will, of the shifts in everyone's lives. And yet we may forego the actual narration of the story, which is kind of brewed in the tea of interpersonal experience that all of us have had the luxury of having growing up. I adored my grandparents, and they've told me these stories, which are not in some cloud, but inside my head, hmm. um, and that I will always have access to as long as I'm a thinking being. Um, and our kids don't have that um, means. You know, they really are more aligned to being able to document everything using these digitized, outsourced memory chips, if you will. And so and there isn't the texture, there isn't the experience of how it feels like to hear the story from someone that you treasure. My dad is an excellent storyteller, and it's one of the things that I love most about him is he takes his time and he sets everything up, and it's visual, and it's really, really beautiful. And I unfortunately haven't developed that skill yet, but I feel that— um, But you're a sign language interpreter. I am an that's interpreter. A very and that's a good point. Significant way of telling a story. In the deaf tradition, storytelling is a very unique uh, tradition in that culture. It's very different than in hearing culture. But I think what we're losing, or it seems to me that we're losing, is an oral tradition— of telling a story, that you experience something through someone else. And I think that's what's changing. In defense a bit of, of technology, you know, my my kids are very young. My father doesn't realize he's now apparently in middle age. He's 72, but I think he feel, he's always talking about going west. He's always talking euphemistically about dying, which I hate. Ah. But he lives in very far away. And if we didn't have FaceTime, my kids, my kids wouldn't see what right. the grandfather looks like half the time. Right. You know, and and he he sometimes we set up email accounts for our kids and sometimes he sends his grandchild an, an email that the, my kids won't read till they're teenagers and he may be gone. Right. But that's there's something kind of nice about that. Yes. You know, yeah, there's that sense of continuity and contact and choice. I think technology gives us the options that, you know, that we didn't have before. But it's interesting because I feel like as 40-somethings, or almost 40-somethings, in your case, Melissa, we're, we're all poised in the middle. We are, we are old enough to remember when technology wasn't ubiquitous and to have these stories from our parents and grandparents, but young enough to be tweeting and, and emailing and maybe a bit in, impatient in our own ways. I will say um, that one way that I think technology has really um, helped me, certainly as a mom, I, my daughter is uh, 11 years old, um, and I started blogging 
right before she was born and pretty much right when blogging was coming out. And one of the things that, that I know that it has helped me is I've gone back in my archives and I will find stories that I wrote that I shared about her life and about my life as a young mother that I had totally forgotten about. And I would not have even remembered it happened to me, but for the fact that those were my words. And I've used that to tell my daughter, you know, I'll call her in and say, hey, look at this. This was something funny that happened when you were six months old. And so there is at least, and again, in defense of technology, there is at least that, that there are ways that we can record our lives a lot better that even though they may not exist anymore in 20 years, as our children grow and as we start, you know, we develop new relationships, we can still go back to that right now and go, hey, remember that story that when or remember when this happened or this was something funny or this was something really amazing that happened that I that might have been completely lost without it. Melissa, can you give us kind of a, just a big picture of this massive transformation that's going on in society with with aging people sure. living longer. What are some of the numbers? Yes, yeah, so if you're looking from a global perspective and thinking about aging, and when we talk about aging, a lot of times people get in their head, and oh, we're just talking about older people, we're talking about baby boomers, but every single one of us is aging. From the time we are born, we are aging, and it is a process. And so when we're thinking about what aging is, it's about how we live each step of that process. So what's happening globally? We have talked about this. We're living longer. We are um, living at least three decades longer than we, we were about a century ago. But when you add that to the fact that our birth rates are actually declining all around the world, women are having fewer babies. And therefore, that is creating a shift in the number of old to young. So there's has been traditionally a proportion of younger people is larger than the proportion of older people who are in the world overall. And now it's making a shift to where there are more older people than there are younger people. And that means is that good news or bad news? Well, it could be a great opportunity. (laughs) Exactly. And that's, I mean, that's one of the things we've struggled with and that we've worked with is that so many um, sort of our structural institutions sort of look at it as a burden. So from a health perspective, it's not necessarily a burden if we can figure out how to tackle um, some of the chronic conditions of aging. So someone who's in her 40s listening to this, hearing Dr. Debbie tell us that 75 is going to be the new middle age, totally psyched. What what are some things that we should do right now so that we can be hale and and engaged in our 70s and 80s? Again, it is staying healthy and active. But there are also some just simple activities. There's also been research that has been done that if you are doing simple things like listening to the radio or, walk, or visiting a museum or reading a new newspaper on an extremely regular basis, you're actually going to have about a 50% um, less chance to get Alzheimer's disease because you're exercising your brain regularly and as often as you possibly can. So that's research that we have seen. I'm looking Do you at concur, Dr. Debbie. Dr. Debbie? <laughs> I, you know, actually, everything that's good for the heart is good for the brain. So if And you good can, for the soul. And good for the soul. So exactly. So um, anything that's a lot of physical exercise is good especially aerobic activity, is helpful to get us to healthy aging, actually increases the neuronal cell growth inside the hippocampus, which is the part of the brain that deals with memory, um, uh, as well as keeping your brain generally fit. Forgiveness is very important in terms of how we get old and aging gracefully as we get older. Community um, the the more the more strongly we are involved in community, the more healthy we're going to be over time. And one of my patients who was 99. Said to me, he said, Gayatri, 
I want you to know that one of the secrets, and he was an amazing man. He was always vibrant, working till a year before he died. My daughter used to love hanging out with him, and there was a 75-year age gap between them. So he was clearly somebody who was magnetic, charismatic, and all of those things. But he also said the key to healthy aging is if he didn't quite say it that way. He said is if you make friends from every decade of life. Wow. So he said, make sure you have friends, because he said, your old friends are going to die off. <laughs> he said, you've got to make new friends. And he and had so, your little daughter as a friend. And he had my little daughter as a friend. I mean, and I remember once he gave her a little whistle for Christmas, and he said to her, yeah, if you whistle, I will come. And she wrote back and said, if you whistle... I will come. So it's kind of an interesting, I mean, there was a, he's, he was really involved with life up until the very end. Karen, Karen, I know we're speaking your language because because <laughs> your work really focuses on kindness and compassion. Um, what do you think our generation, the 40-something generation, needs to do to, to counter the culture of negativity around aging? This is actually something that I'm very, very passionate about. And one of the things that um, that sometimes we forget is that we are sort of the CEOs of our own media company. And we can rage against how the way society um, perceives aging and perceives people who enter into their 40s. But we can also put content out there that shows what it's really like to be in your 40s and shows the joy of being in your 40s. For me, I view my 40s as like finally hitting adulthood and kind Kind of knowing something, having some of that wisdom, but still being young enough to do everything physically that I did in my 20s and my 30s. I can still feel very comfortable traveling. I feel comfortable doing athletic things. And that's a really, really powerful place to be sitting. And I don't think we hear that enough. I think we hear a lot more of the, you know, the perimenopause and the health issues and, oh my gosh, now your bone density is, you know, decreasing and all these other things. And we don't hear a lot of, you know, this is what I'm going to change jobs and this is what I'm going to do now, or I'm going on this epic adventure. And I wish that people would really kind of, you know, take charge of the media because we are the media and actually put out there exactly what um, is glorious about being at this age. I'm curious about that, actually. What is glorious for you of being in your 40s? I was just about to say, I I mean, with the massive exception of the sleep deprivation, because I had a child at 41 and 43, my 40s, I don't ever want them to end. It's everything, everything, all the seeds that I ever planted or didn't even know I was planting, because isn't that more how life is, right? Things things tend to blossom that you that you thought were shit, um, <laughs> if you're lucky. Um, all all the seeds that that I planted have like have 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 just created this garden of my life. I have the children I I wanted, but you know, again, I I harnessed reproductive technology. I froze my eggs in my thirties. Right. You know, I, I I'm getting a big thumbs up from the doctor and <laughs> Melissa. If you're thinking of having children, I highly recommend it. Um, which gave me room to find a, a, the partner, you know, not settle and, and to create a career. And I made a, I made a career change in my late 30s. And um, I, I think that, at least for me, you guys can tell me what your 40s were like, so many big life questions like, where is my home? Whom will I love? Will I be a mother? What do I really want to do? The big question marks 
th- th- all the questions were answered. So now when so many questions are answered, you have the room to ask new, exciting questions, not the questions that hang over your head about about how your life will turn out. Yeah, I agree with you. I, my 30s were amazing. And I honestly, I remember when I turned 40, I, I don't, I'm not a person that really gets upset about aging at all. But I remember when I was turned 40 thinking, wow, the, the 30s were great. There's no way my 40s are ever going to top that. Well, you know, I met my husband in my 30s. I was living abroad in my 30s. I was single and just living a life of adventure. Um, and so I thought, you know, there's just no way that's going to top that. But in my 40s, I I stopped practicing law and became an author and I became a mother. And I've, you know, the, I've traveled to places I would have never dreamed of traveling. I've done far more intrepid travel than I ever did in my 30s. And and it's and it's all sort of just kind of come into place. And what's re- for me, what's really been lovely about it is because my 30s were so rich, my 40s, like there's I, there was there's never been any regrets about anything. And I've been sort of happily shocked that that's continued, that that sort of quest for adventure has continued. And I, like I said, I'm I'm. 48. So I'm, you know, I'm looking at 50 coming at me right now. And I keep thinking, well, there's no reason why my 50s would be any different, right? Ah, that's what I want to hear. Charles, what are you thinking about? I hope my 50s will be even better. But I agree with you completely, Karen. Everything happened to me in my 40s. And I described it to some of my younger friends as being in my 20s and 30s without all the stress and worry. Uh, I really just let go and traveled and did everything that I could possibly want to do, started a new career. I mean, the 40s, have absolutely been golden. It was a perfect time. But I, I'm hoping that the 50s, I know my 50s will be just as good or Melissa, better. are you so psyched to get older? <laughs> I, I actually am. I, in the work that I do, I'm excited to get older. But it's funny because I was telling my husband that I was going to do this podcast with you. And I said, it's about being in your 40s. And he looked at me and he sort of had this look on his face of confusion. He said, you're you're not 40, right? And I was like, no, honey, of course I'm not 40, but I'm, I'm close enough. Hey, Melissa, I'm going to I'm gonna give you some advice that somebody gave to me right when I turned 40 that I thought was so brilliant, and I've really hung on to it. I was giving a talk, and it was about um, sort of self-esteem and sort of self-perception. And this woman stood up in the audience, and she said to me, she goes, you know, when I was in my 30s, I worried about what people thought of me. And then when I hit my 40s, I realized I didn't care what people thought of me. And then... Well, now that I'm in my 50s, I realize they really weren't thinking about me in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny. My, my three-year-old asked me the other day, Mommy, are you a grown-up? And I said, yeah, I guess I am. <laughs> it, it wasn't an immediate answer of, because I also think that 40-somethings now, I think our parents, wanted, they became grown-ups when, in their 20s, right? Got married, got a house, got the job, wore a fedora. And, 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 you know, at least in our grandparents' generation, didn't think that they would live much past 70, probably. And I think, I think once you're in your 40s, you're, you're kind of like, I guess I'm a grown-up now. But you still, feel, um, you still feel very youthful. I don't know. That's how I feel. How do you feel, Dr. Debbie? Um, I, you know, I've never felt more powerful over my life and my destiny than I do in my 40s. And I dreaded becoming getting to my 40s. I had a wonderful 30s, and my 30s were better than my 20s, and my 20s were better than my teens. Um, But, you know, I think my patients have been fabulous teachers, and they've taught me some wonderful things. They've taught me that, you know, you've got to let go of certain things. You know, you've got to forgive. Um, You've got to really appreciate. I mean, the one thing that all of us humans want is we want permanence, and we want no change. But 
that's impossible. So one right? thing we'll never have. We'll never have that. So we're kind of clinging to that all the time. And, you know, it's not possible to have that. And so in your 40s, you kind of begin to realize that and you have the wisdom to say, well, look, you know, the world is always going to be in this place of impermanence, regardless of how permanent you want it to be. There's always going to be chaos. Um, and how do you harness it? How do you make it work for you? And it's a delicious place to be. The only, for, for me, the only downside of, of getting older is the superficial stuff. And then I just look in the mirror and I think, as I approach the age when my mom died, because she was quite young, she was 52, I just think, well, what's the alternative? What's the alternative? You have to embrace aging. The alternative... Right. It's, it's, it's unthinkable, unspeakable. Yeah. I just wanted to add, I have this uh, great T-shirt that says, why not? And it inspired me to do so many things. I wanted to go to India. And I was like, how's that going to happen? I've been to India twice. And it's all because I said, why not? And it just presented itself. The money was there. The time was there. Um, Maybe that's the slogan for the, for your 40s is the why not decade. Right. Yeah. Why not decade? Yeah, I like that. Why not have kids? <laughs> why not? Why not feel young? Why not travel? Why not change your job? All those things, right? And what's amazing to me is when I ask patients in their 80s and 90s, what, how old do they feel? Most of them say they feel like they're in their 40s. They'll pick some age in their 40s. Isn't that interesting? I just got chills. That's really cool. It's so interesting. <laughs> Although Charles and I, I, I still feel like I'm 19 or 20. How long will that last? Well, till you hit middle age, which will be which your will 70s. Be 70. Perfect. Thank you. I do want to ask you guys uh, about faith, whatever that means to you, the role, and not just because it's my name, the the role of, of faith or lack of it in your life and your experience with, with aging people, how how it relates to wisdom. Yeah. I You know, I've um, another thing I ask patients in their 80s and 90s, because I love the wisdom of the elder. I subscribe strongly to that. I'll say things like, well, tell me what made your marriage work. And I remember one patient, a woman in her 80s, told me, well, honey, you just agree with everything they tell you, and then you go ahead and do what you want. <laughs> so that was, and um, so I've asked people, you know, I'll ask them, well, do you think you've had a good life? And um, I remember one woman said to me, she said, you know, she was 94 at the time, and she said, this was years ago when I was young, I was in my 20s then, and she said, you know, I've had a wonderful life. She said, because nothing bad has ever happened to me. And I said, really? And she said, yes, nothing bad has happened. And I said, wow, so that's what it takes to have a wonderful life. And it wasn't until many years later that I realized, but of course, bad things have happened to her. Her parents have died. You know, she's had, I knew for a fact that she was a widow. Her husband, who she loved, had died. So things had happened, but she had narrated it, her narrative. Yeah. was that of a narrative of plenty, a narrative yeah. of wealth, Gratitude. Of, of narrative of richness. Um, so I, I think that was remarkable in terms of how to view life. And I actually... Well, that goes to storytelling, too. How, yeah. do you tell, how do you tell your own story as your life unfolds? Right. And I kind of make it an active practice of that, you know, is to try to tell the story from that perspective. You know, I've had a wonderful life, regardless of some blips of horrible things that may have happened. I, I think faith, um, whether it's belief in yourself, whether it's um, belief in tomorrow, whatever that is, you had mentioned um, me being a caregiver to my father. I think my father was actually a caregiver 
to me through a health challenge that I had. And you, yes, you I had to think about planning your own funeral. Yes, yes. I'm a cancer survivor, uh, and I'm doing great. And my dad really helped me through technology. Amazingly enough, he's a big texter. But um, that belief in yourself or higher power, whatever that is, that curiosity, if you will, Karen, that keeps you going, I think, um, is priceless. From that perspective, Charles, it's really interesting to to think about because I've been in a situation to not a cancer survivor, but had my own health issue where, yes, I was taking care of my parents and that felt normal. I mean, because parents are supposed to take care of their children. And I think when you get to the position where, you know, you're taking care of your parents and sort of they're looking back on their lives, I think faith actually plays a really important, a really important role to say, yes, I feel content and I feel happy with what I've been given because I've had a beautiful family and all these wonderful opportunities. Um, and it's it's great to see, too. I mean, in my own family, my father's um, grandfather just turned 98 years old and he is a very devout man. And he lived on his own until he was 96 years old. And what he did every day that kept him going is that he could walk to church. Um, And that's what sort of gives him a good life. And I think it plays a huge role in longevity. And also uh, perception, um, like we were talking about earlier, you people may see your life as something horrible. Or someone looked at my medical chart that we go, oh, my God, this guy is so sick. I'm doing things that I was doing when I was 19 and 20. So I think I'm great. But you're still 19. Yeah, (laughs) that's still what I feel like. But again, if we look at it from a clinical perspective, I might be very sick, you know, but um, really I'm not. Karen? Yeah, I think as far as um, faith, if there's something that my 40s has taught me, that that faith is incredibly important, whether or not you practice a, um, a religion or not, that that I think in my 30s, um, when I was really sort of, you know, go get them, career, got to do everything, you know, everything right, keep up with the Joneses kind of thing, the thought of taking care of my own spirit or my own soul would have felt incredibly self-indulgent and um, incredibly maybe even lazy at some point. And in my 40s, if there's something that it's told me, it's, it's so imperative to make sure that you are really with intention taking care of your spirit, whatever that may be. Um, a friend of mine, uh, Brene Brown, says that for some people that's God, for other people that's fishing, and I think that's right. Like, um, but taking care of of your spirit and your and your faith and having something to believe in becomes more and more important. I think as you get older. What do you all imagine your eighty year old self to be like? What What are you going to be doing when you're eighty? That's such a fantastic question, and you know I've never really. Thought about it, Dr. Debbie. Your office will be on the hundredth floor. You'll walk up every flight of stairs, <laughs> and you'll still be practicing. That's what I think. Okay, I know I'm going to practice till I drop dead, or till I'm not cognitively or physically able to practice because I love what I do. I think that's very important. You know, to to have purpose as you get older. So I want in my 80s to really be doing something I enjoy doing, whether it's dog walking, or you know, or writing something that I find meaningful or taking care of patients. I want to be doing a lot of the things that I'm doing now. I I write songs. I write poetry. I travel. Um, Hopefully I'll be able to do all of those things and um, maybe find some way to give back to the world that I haven't discovered yet. Um, That's my dream. when you're 80, Mm -hmm. your father's only going to be 97. You may be hanging out with him. (laughs) I hope so. You know, both my parents would be great people to hang out with. 
Melissa? Yeah, and I'm thinking of it from perspective of almost being 40. Like, I want to be liberated to say, yes, I'm going to do all these great things. Um, but yeah, I think I want to be doing more for society. You know, I want to be doing a lot more giving back, but I want to make sure that I'm giving back at every step, um, every step of the way. So I think that's the most important thing is to say, I'm not going to retire. Retirement doesn't exist anymore. That concept does not exist. It shouldn't exist. You know, if we can. But I think that's also because our generation um, is much more driven to do what we love. So that the idea of retirement Mm -hmm. is like, retire, but I I am what I do. Right. Exactly right. You change a job instead of retiring to find a job you like. Yeah. yeah, and what you do exactly can absolutely change, but it should be something that we love. So I think continuing, hopefully, I continue to pursue that, um, and yeah, just doing fun stuff. Eighty-year-old Karen. Eighty-year-old Karen is. It sounds a lot like the eighty-year-old the rest of us. I I will be <laughs> taking photographs and writing until I can't hold the camera or hold the, or type anymore. Um, I'll I'll still be doing a lot of, of, of work around the world that I love to do, and um, maybe I'll be wearing a lot more leather and telling more <laughs> in, inappropriate jokes. Can perhaps. we can we all meet up when we finally hit middle age? Wait, what about eighty year old Faith? <laughs> oh my gosh! I mean, I'm gonna sound like everybody else. I, well, I'll have had some plastic surgery for sure. Um, <laughs> You're perfect just the way you are. Let Thank you very that. much, Charles. Um, I I I want to be writing. I want to be traveling. I want to be. I still want to be running five miles a day, and you know I. I think another part of having kids in your 40s is you really want to stay. I mean, I really hope my children are sexually promiscuous so I can see their, I can have grandchildren. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, I need to stay, you know, healthy, at least to to be around for my for my kids. Right. When they if they choose to get married. So um, my dad and I had a very interesting emotional experience. Um, One of his friends had died. Um, recently, and the obituary was in the newspaper, and we were talking, and he said, you know, it's really, really hard. He said, because every day I read the obituaries first to see, you know, some of my old friends, um, most of them are gone. And he didn't really realize it because we didn't share the experience at the time. I was in my 20s uh, during the AIDS pandemic, and I lost many, many friends, um, too many to count, actually. And uh, so it was actually me sharing my wisdom with him about the difficulty, you know, that life does go on, um, that you can make it to the next day. And it's really hard when you see your friends die. And most of the men I knew were very, very young. And it was devastating, you know. So it was a great experience to impart some of my wisdom to him. And it was kind of reversed, but it was a very nice moment for the two of us. Did losing so many friends when you were so young... um, did that stay in your mind as you lived through your 40s, thinking, gosh, I mean, gosh, you guys, you could have got, they wouldn't believe they could get, you know, gay men could get married now. Gay men could be fathers. Oh, my gosh, yes. Um, uh, you know, they have what they call survivor's guilt, you know, those of us who survived the pandemic, you know, and why were we the ones who survived? Just luck of the draw, you know, there's all kinds of theories, uh, medical research about, you know, maybe my ancestors survived the bubonic plague or something like that, that it's genetic. But um, the way I finally learned to deal with it was just to think of them all looking down on me saying, yay, you're there. Yeah. You get to see all these things. Yeah. Isn't that great? You know, instead of feeling bad that they right. missed it. That's part of your why not, right? Right. It's part of my why not. Why not change it into something positive? Um, You know, my life was enriched by all of them in in different ways from each individual. So it's a very positive thing, you know, 
So some of the takeaway is is be a fool sometimes, walk a lot, forgive a lot. <laughs> forgive yourself, I think, is exactly. the biggest thing. Uh, and be kind to yourself. Be kind to other people and forgive them too. But I think the most important thing is to be able to forgive yourself. Yeah, anger has no place in aging, healthy aging. Dr. Devi and Charles and Melissa and Karen, thank you all so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. That's all for this episode of 4040 Vision. Special thanks to our guests, Gayatri Devi, Melissa Mitchell, Charles Reeves, and Karen Walrand. Be sure to subscribe to 4040 Vision on iTunes. And, you know, hey, if you like the show, why not let people know by giving us a good iTunes review? Don't forget to check out the entire 4040 Vision rollout on Slate.com slash 4040 Vision, where we have photo galleries, quizzes, articles, and all kinds of fun content about being in your 40s. I'm Faith Saley. Thanks so much for joining us. 